Great. Thank you, Kelly. Hi, everybody. This is Susan. Um, I am actually uh, unable to see anything because my internet is down and the cable guy is here right now. But we're going to proceed and Arlie and Leslie are going to um, show you everything that we need. So we just wanted to get together the family law advocates from PLAN and talk about what's going on. I have some information from folks who have answered some of the um, group chat emails about what's going on in your jurisdiction. So we just wanted to get together and compare and offer any assistance or best practices and hear from everybody else uh, about what's working in your jurisdiction. Um, we're going to try and hit custody, PFA, and a little bit about support. We figured that we will spend a good amount of time on custody as that seems like what everybody has the most questions about. So Arlie's going to start with the slides. And Arlie, if you want to do the beginning until we get to custody, then I'll jump in at custody. Sure. Um, so uh, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court has issued its um, order closing all courts except for essential functions. Um, this means that um, all time limits have been extended until the courts reopen, but there is a very important uh, exception to that time limit extension. Children's fast track appeals have not been extended. Um, therefore, all of the statutory time limits still apply. Um, the court has recognized that some filing units in the common pleas courts are not accepting filings currently. So there has been an order issued by the Superior Court that notices of appeal can be filed directly in the Superior Court by precipice, um, and there is an uh, instructions on how to file by precipice in the order you file in the court district um, where your court of common pleas would be so make sure that you are not um, missing your children's fast track deadlines during this time um, the court has closed except for essential court functions so that's what we're going to be focusing on kind of for the rest of the session is what is essential and if it's not essential what does that mean for our clients so turning um, and I think Susan's going to pick up from here we're going to talk about emergency custody as an essential court function so uh, most the court order from the Supreme Court of Pennsylvania um, talking about closing the court did mention, as Arlie said, what's an essential function. And it specifically mentions protection from abuse filings and emergency custody filings. So most, if not all, of our jurisdiction, jurisdictions should have some way for litigants to still file for emergency custody. Um, I think here we were going to have a poll question asking how many people have information in your county about how to file for emergency custody uh, petition during this time, even if the actual physical court is closed. So we'll ask you to raise your hand, I guess, or 
you can comment. I can't see the comments, so Arlie and Leslie, jump in. Yeah, and the poll questions um, that we had planned are um, unfortunately just going to be turned into chat questions. Um, so if um, you wanted to give us a sense of whether you have a procedure for emergency custody in your county, maybe just do a yes or a no in the chat. And while we're waiting to see those results, I'll say that Philadelphia took about a week um, to get a process up and running where litigants can file for emergency custody petitions. And the court was really great about um, trying to figure out how to do it remotely and get that out to the public as soon as it was possible. And I happened to have a situation where I had an emergency waiting to file. Our client tried to file on his own at the protection from abuse emergency filing site on the Friday before and was unsuccessful. Um, not anybody's fault, but the court really hadn't set up this procedure yet. So I filed one the first thing Tuesday morning um, of the second Tuesday that the courts were closed. And the process worked remarkably smoothly. Um, I filed the petition via email. The court is accepting electronic signatures. Um, and I do believe it was a lot easier for the litigant because we were able to assist. I do think that some self-represented litigants would have a really hard time. But we were able to file the petition um, via email that the court had set up a specific email for this filing. And um, if you look at the handouts that we attached to the webinar, you'll see one of them is the court's procedure for custody emergency filing. Um, so and that uh, on what's happening in the chat. So um, we are having a lot of yeses have an emergency procedure, but Clarion, Jefferson, Indiana, Armstrong, Westmoreland, um, and Cambria um, do not have a procedure for emergency custody filings. Wow, that's a lot of counties, although Philadelphia and Pennsylvania has a lot of counties. Um, so, you know, if the people who are in the counties that do not have um, any way to file want to speak. Um, I think you can, Kelly would have to unmute you um, if you wanted to talk or you can just chat about what you think is happening. And for the other counties, I'm assuming that it's remote access, although I do think some courts are physically open for some of these emergency pleadings. So what we did in Philadelphia was um, I emailed it in the court calls me back, so they have a specific window of time where you can file these. I believe it's like 8.30 to 11 a.m. You file it by then, the court will call you and let you know when they're gonna, if the emergency is going to be granted and if, an, if a uh, ex parte hearing is gonna take place. So the court called me back, said we're gonna call you in about 10 minutes for an ex parte hearing. Do you want to have your uh, client on the phone with you? So I waited for the court. I conferenced in my client. We had the hearing. He testified. I had um, some documents and some exhibits ready to show the court, um, but the court was convinced that there was an emergency without those uh, exhibits. But I think it would have been a good idea to try and email them ahead of time 
or, you know, ask the judge when the court calls you to say, we're going to be having a hearing, you can ask, can I email my exhibits ahead of time to the court, to the judge's email or to the judge's clerk's email or something like that, as if you would do if your um, party was appearing by telephone or, or somebody had to appear by phone on a regular court day. And so we had the ex parte hearing, the court issued the order, told us what the order was going to say, and then directed us to have someone very specific instructions about how to pick up the temporary ex parte order physically at the courthouse since he would need a registered uh, certified order, copy of the order to en for enforcement. And they had a window of an hour where you could pick up the um, order at the physical courthouse. So that was how that emergency process is working, and it seems to be going okay. We haven't heard too much about any um, problems with the actual filing, but what is an issue is what is an emergency. And well, our court- then I wanna update you. Um, yeah. Kelly is not able to unmute other people, so they're gonna have to rely on the chat box. I put in a question what kind of procedures people are using um, and the answer um, that I've gotten so far is that in Franklin and Fulton people can access the courthouse and have in-person hearing using social distancing but they are encouraged to use phone and video if possible. Right, great. So um, if it's easier Arlie and you want to take over for a little bit like talking about the comments and stuff that's fine. Um, no, I'll cut you off. You keep going. I think people are very interested okay. in what is an emergency. Yeah. So um, in our county, emergencies are very difficult to get anyway. So there really needs to be significant risk of imminent physical harm. And, you know, we've been talking to a lot of other advocates and a lot of private attorneys as well. Um, and we're finding that this situation, uh, the court is not considering a lot of things in emergency. So we have a colleague who's, um, their client's opposing party is, um, lives in a, in Jersey, so it's close, but it's, you know, out of the jurisdiction. The child was taken to the other parent. The other parent doesn't want to give the child back right now because of everything that's going on and um, is staying at some other place in New Jersey. And uh, the court found that that was not an emergency. We've had lots of discussions with people who are very concerned about the other party exercising their physical custody because of exposure to the virus um, for uh, different reasons, whether it be somebody was sick or um, what we're hearing a lot about is the other custodian is um, an essential worker. We have one case where the other party is a EMT and is saying, oh, it's not that serious. People aren't dying that much, which is very strange and interesting, but he really is insisting on keeping his partial custody. And I think we're all struggling with this question of how to advise clients when this is going on. Um, so in most circumstances, we're seeing the court say that's not an emergency. Just, you know, somebody withholding because of the virus or you not wanting to send a child because of the virus is not an emergency. So do we want to move on to the next slide, Arlie? Sure. Uh, I'm just going to update you that um, 
I did put in a question in the chat. What is an emergency custody situation in your counties? No one has responded, but um, I did get a response that in Washington County, they have non-emergency custody proceedings as well um, via email to the judge's staff. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So that kind of thing is definitely not happening in Philadelphia. So um, moving on from what is an emergency, we are going to touch on what the stay home order means for custody orders. So we are under the, um, we're working under the assumption that the governor's orders to stay at home, um, it's pretty clear that that order does not include not exercising your custody. So people are permitted to travel um, I should send out, we should send out this article that came out in the New York Times yesterday about this. There was an article in the New York Times about custody during the pandemic and people, you know, not wanting to transfer custody. And I think it really matters um, on what state to state is happening. But I believe that our order to shelter in place or, you know, not travel, only essential business, that it will be interpreted that it is an essential thing to do to follow your custody order and you can travel to do so. And to jump in, the governor's office general counsel did confirm that the stay at home order does not prohibit travel necessary to effectuate the child custody orders. And that is the same in Philadelphia. The mayor's office in Philadelphia, of gen the general counsel of the mayor's office confirmed that the Philadelphia specific order also did not prohibit travel for child custody orders. Um, yeah. I have some answers in the chat about what is an emergency across, um, uh, across the counties if you wanna hear those. <laughs> So in, sure. in Fulton, there's no specific guidance on emergencies, um, and, but they allow petitions for special relief in general. Um, they haven't tested it yet. In Chester County, um, they say that if a parent works in healthcare or something like that, as long as they are not working in a hot spot like New York, custody exchanges are still to occur. In Dauphin County, COVID-19 is not an emergency. Child must have an underlying medical health issue plus additional factor to prevent an exchange. Yeah. I do want to point out that that rule um, for Dauphin County, whether or not it's an explicit rule, is a good way for all of us to be thinking about our emergency custody cases. Uh, I do know that some clients, even though you're telling them the exchanges need to go on, are going to say, I'm absolutely not going to follow the custody order right now. I'm too afraid. And I think you have to make a choice depending on who your judges are locally. If the client, if the client is absolutely not going to give over the child regardless, if it's beneficial to attempt emergency custody, because it could make it even more difficult to defend against a future contempt if they go in and they get an order saying, no, you have to follow this order. And then if they continue to not do it, um, that's gonna be really hard to paint that as a non-willful withholding. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and so, so we think that this, oh, go ahead. 
So we uh, moved on to the slide about best practices under the stay home order. Um, do you want me to go over those, Susan, since you can't see them, or do you want to talk about it? Sure, you can go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so best practices. Um, if it is safe, uh, we are encouraging parents to communicate with the other parent about what uh, changes to the custody schedule need or should be done. Um, we all understand that this is a crisis um, and that maybe the regular schedule um, is not going to be functioning as it was. Um, so what does that communication entail? If a client normally exchanges at a business that is now closed, uh, they, should exchange, they should discuss other exchange locations that are still open and that are safe, such as a police station. Um, this is a big one. If the order depends on the school calendar, uh, we are recommending that you advise clients to continue to follow the order as if school were open and functioning and follow that until it naturally ends. The judges, when they made their order and um, tied the order to the school calendar, generally looked at what parent was better able to support the child's education. Now that school is online, that thinking about which parent can um, assist the child's education is probably even more vital while doing homeschooling. So even though schools are closed physically, they're open virtually. And so we are recommending that clients follow the custody order as if the natural school calendar uh, would end in June or whenever that is. Um, as always, communicating by text and email to keep a log of exchanges and important details about the child's well-being for future contempts. Um, and if the child is being withheld, continue to request the child multiple times, um, as everybody knows. Susan, do you have anything you want to add to best practices? Doesn't sound like it. Um, while we wait a moment for Susan, because I show she's still on, I'm going to go ahead and launch the first of the poll box questions for CLE credits. Attorneys requesting CLE credit for your participation um, in this webinar, if you could please respond to this. There'll be a second question at the towards the end of the webinar. And Susan, Sorry about are you that. People are weighing in. I, I think it is. I am talking about this order from Judge Doyle in Blair County. Um, nationally, there are a number of states that are implementing similar orders. So it is possible that guidance could change in everyone's individual counties. But I think it's also reasonable if you have a client who has a pretty good reason why they withheld during this period. There's a heightened factor, like the child has asthma. And if you're going into a contempt hearing, maybe using some of these orders from other jurisdictions to indicate that the concern is real and that this was you know, a narrow judgment call and that the client wasn't willfully withholding the child, but reasonably. And just right. so Susan and, and others and who are on the phone know, the Blair County order says that children shall remain with their primary custodian during the time of the uh, stay at home order. 
So we also wanted to just remind people that if you are going to offer or your client is going to offer an alternative to in-person visits like over Skype or Zoom or iChat, just be careful if there's domestic violence and somebody's address is confidential because a lot of clues can be seen about, you know, if the child's running around on an iPhone and, you know, you can tell where the person lives from that, or if they're outside, just be careful and counsel your clients to be careful about that. Um, some ju other jurisdictions, I've been on calls uh, with some national groups, and some other jurisdictions have said all supervised visits have to go to virtual. Um, most, of, most, if not all, of the supervised visitation sites are closed, so people who only have supervised visits are not getting to see their kids at all, which is really difficult for the child and of course the parent. So um, there are some jurisdictions that are specifically ordering people to figure out how to do virtual visits. And um, through our Justice for Families grant, we were on a call the other day about this and there's lots of uh, supervised visitation sites that were on the call and they were saying that they are actually setting up for the people that use their supervised visitation site they're setting up uh, ways that they can safely have the visiting parent and the custodial parent log in and safely connect the children to this and have a visit virtually so you know and also in defending against the contempt in the future if you've offered those kind of things hopefully that will go uh, a long way in not being found in contempt. Susan, I just want to highlight, I've moved on to the supervised visitation slide. You were talking about offering virtual visits if the other parent only has supervised visitation. What are the safety concerns about virtual visits? Can you just highlight those again? Sure. Um, people being able to, like Zoom isn't secure and I'm not a tech whiz. Um, but from what I understand, people can like hack in. Um, there might be some things that you might be doing um, if you're using a computer or a cell phone that the other person can try and get your IP address or figure out where you are. Um, so we just need to be careful to be safe with technology as well. Um, and like I said, you know, having if there's a confidential address, you know, just monitoring what the child's saying, monitoring what the other person is seeing about the home so they can't figure out where you are. And I don't know, Leslie, if you have anything to add about that for take tech safety-wise? Well, I think some of the issues that jump to my mind are a little, are definitely DV specific, right? So if you have someone who's on supervised visitation and then you're creating virtual visits, um, if the survivor doesn't want to have contact, you know, they might think, oh, I'll just set it up and let the child do it totally on their phone if the child's of an age where they have their own cell phone. But in a lot of supervised visitation situations, there might not be telephonic regular contact between the child and that parent. And if the, it's a contentious situation, if the child wants to be talking to the parent they're on supervised contact with, um, and you're creating that bridge, then there might be an increased amount of contact between um, parents who has supervised visitation and child if mom is not actively monitoring it, but it puts her at risk of 
you know, him having her information, um, having to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, issues being brought up, it can certainly be really painful and upsetting. Um, I know, as Susan mentioned, we were on a call addressing these issues on the national scope, and some places do have their supervised visitation centers implementing um, a more sophisticated version of supervised visitation. And I'm interested to see if you could just type in the chat box if anyone has had their supervised visitation center implement a digital platform that the supervised visitation center continues to run. While we wait for those answers, I also want to highlight um, the, the caution of having parties um, agree on a third party to supervise. Uh, even if both parties agree, the court may have ordered supervised visitation in the best interest of the child, regardless of what the parents agree on. So make sure that the parties understand uh, that, that the court may have done it of its own accord and would not look kindly on them having supervised visitation um, by a third party. We haven't uh, gotten any responses about supervised visitation in the other counties, um, but we did get some more um, highlight or some more suggestions on best practices um, to um, when during this COVID-19, when you are discussing uh, custody with your other parent, um, make sure that you discuss and assure each other um, that you understand the risks associated with COVID-19 infection and illness, that you will practice social distancing during custody exchanges, um, and will take personal responsibility for any consequences resulting from a custody exchange. So now, um, some questions uh, that I believe that we've um, talked about, but make sure uh, that we want to highlight, Susan, our health concerns and contempt. So here we have several questions that we've been seeing from our clients. Um, what if one parent caregiver is an essential worker and may be at higher risk of contracting the virus? What if a parent is not practicing social distancing or other precautions? And what if a child or family member is at high risk of serious illness? Right, so we talked a little bit about those things, and you know, like we've said, you're gonna you're gonna have to counsel clients on the pros and cons of following through with the order. They're gonna have to weigh the risks of being in contempt or not, and deciding you know how they want to handle those issues. Hopefully, people will be reasonable. Obviously, if there's opposing counsel, it's a great idea to reach out to opposing counsel and try and work something out that everybody can agree to. For a lot of our clients who are pro se, they might just be asking us advice on what should I do, and we just need to let them know. This is the ramifications for being in contempt. You know, here's what the judge might consider. We can't guarantee that any court would say this is contempt or is not contempt. You have to weigh the risk. And after this um, webinar, we will be providing some materials. One of those is an example letter to send that we have sent out where an uh, opposing party is withholding 
um, against the order because of COVID-19. So hopefully that example letter will be helpful. Um, so if we have any other questions about custody during COVID-19, please put them in the chat box. Otherwise, I believe we're going to move on to protection from abuse. Okay, so I'm gonna be covering protection from abuse during this period of court closures or limited operation. In, so emergency and temporary PFAs should be available everywhere. Um, if there is a county where they're not available, please share in the chat box and let us know. Um, certainly that would provide a real opportunity for advocacy to get those services back up and running in your county. During this period, the 10-day rule is waived. Um, if your court is completely closed, they're not going to have a rule date right now. I would also be interested to see if anyone is still having uh, their PFA hearings in that 10-day period, if any court is maintaining that as just a, a normal function and implementing a social distancing policy instead of um, just postponing the hearings until courts reopen. Could you switch slides? Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I keep trying to do it on my own. Okay, so I wanna go over just a little bit of the Philadelphia procedure. Um, in part to kind of trigger you all to think about what the differences are in your court so that we can share what processes we think are working really well so that we can advocate with the courts to implement similar processes in other counties. So in Philadelphia, we still and always have continued to have the emergency PFA process while the court is closed. That's always available at the Criminal Justice Center after hours and on weekends and holidays. Um, the burden, this one's still being done in person. However, the burden is much higher 